Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Ours as your children, we, Lord, get to come to worship you. We get to commune with you. We get to be taught by you. We get to be empowered by you. Lord, as we've come into this lighted place from a very dark world, we pray that our hearts would be still before you. That you would have, Lord, full access to our thoughts. And Lord, that it would sink into our hearts. That you would teach us the truth that we're going to hear this morning. And that for each of us, it would impact us in such a very powerful way. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Therefore, the word means for which cause or on account of. But see, whenever you come to a therefore, there's an old saying you have to find out what it's there for. And it's prior arguments, prior discussion, a prior point. And really, if you will, the prior point we find is in verse 18. For the wrath of God, God's righteous judgment, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, the absence or removal of God in mind or action, and unrighteousness of men. Basically, if you will, it is the action towards men that is unrighteous, who supply the truth and unrighteousness, because that may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him God. Now we see the digression again. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. Number one. Number two, nor were they thankful in their hearts. They became futile. That word futile means empty. It means void of truth. Became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their hearts progressed into darkness. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So we see, if you will, again, the digression of man. That when they removed God from their thoughts, they were unthankful for His provision and for what He provided. They became futile in their minds, devoid of truth. And so then their hearts were into darkness. See, what happens is when we do these things, then we make gods in our own image. Maybe not with stone or metal, but other factors are involved, that we put things before God. And when we do that, we, if you will, degrade or dishonor ourselves. But we were made in God's image, so we have been given a gift and a quality that a lot of us don't really grow in. And that is is that we have, if you will, the mind of Christ. He desires to teach us His truth. So that we cannot just hear them and listen and grow, but we can apply them too in our lives, in our daily lives. 
And in doing that, too, we become more Christ-like. But see, they didn't. Therefore, God gave them up. It means to give over into one's power or use. You see, God guides man through His Word, His Holy Spirit, and man's conscience. When a person continues to ignore God, God gives them over too. They abandon God, then it comes to a point that God must abandon them. Now, the good news is it's not totally, because God's Spirit is always a witness, a conviction to those hearts who do not profess that Christ is Lord. But God gave them up to uncleanness, and that word means impurities, thoughts, and motives. In the lust of their hearts, that word means inflamed passion of their hearts. To dishonor, and that word means to treat with contempt yourself or another. Their bodies, among themselves, To use your body or another person's body for their own pleasure. Notice it starts with the mind. The thoughts. And then it migrates to the heart and becomes a passion. A desire. A lust. And then it comes to an action of actually doing that which comes into the mind. Then the heart. And then now the action. No way, well, Madison Avenue's done this for years. Commercials do this. Stores do this. They put products out so that you'll see them. And you'll walk by them. You'll go, I don't need that. You'll see it on TV. I don't need that. But you keep seeing it. You keep looking at it. Then all of a sudden, your mind starts thinking, you know, that might come in handy. They know this. Now it's in your mind. It's in your thought. That picture, that thought, that thing. And you start thinking, you know, that will work. I like that. I want that. And then it becomes, I need that. Have you ever felt it? It's right here. It's the heart. It becomes, if you will, I gotta have it now. And you say, oh, well, we don't, I don't sit there and go, I gotta have, oh, don't you though? Don't you think, oh, I I better get it. It's on sale right now. If I don't get it now, it might go off sale. Because I, I, you know, because I really don't need it. But since it's on sale, it might come in handy and I might as well go get it. So now it becomes a passion. I gotta go get it. And so what do you do? You go get it. Advertisers have been doing this for years. It's the same thing with products in the store. You walk by, you know, it's the old saying, when you're hungry, don't go shopping for food, right? I tell my wife, no, I better not say this, I'll get in trouble later. So never mind, let's move on. <laughs> She's looking at me like, But shopping really is something that you should do when you need something, not when you just have nothing else to do. Because when you have nothing else to do, you'll find yourself buying something even though you really didn't need it. Because, again, you see, you desire, you buy. That's just human nature. But again, see, it starts with the mind. Look at verse 25 who exchanged to change one thing for another. In this case, changing the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served the creature. It's the same word that we actually saw in verse 20, if you will. For since the creation of the world, 
it's the same world, oh, same word, so you can actually say creation. They serve the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. So be it. So it is. They worship creation rather than the creator. They, they accept the lie rather than the truth. And if you will, we see this right now in our society in so many different ways. But I guess the blatant ones, if you will, is that they can't accept the truth of their own gender. So they receive the lie and they say, well, I could be something that I'm not. Rather than accepting what God has given them. But also, if you will, it's, it's the world itself. Gaia. Creation. It's, it's, it is a place now in our society that we have worshipped it. And if you will, it was a hypothesis that they had. It was called the Gaia hypothesis. And basically what it means is the close interrelation between life and environment. They called the idea a complementary evolution of life. But now it's become a theory. And see, it's based off the ancient Greek goddess of the earth. This is a new insight into the interactions, one is quoted as saying, a professor, the living and the inorganic parts of the planet. And what this really means is that these everything on this earth, living matter, air, oceans, land, surface, form a complex system which can be seen as a single organism which has the capacity to keep our planet a fit place for life. It's alive, gang. It's all interacted, active. It also, if you will, there's an interesting part of this theory, and that is there may be an individual species that might sacrifice themselves for the benefit of all living things. And who is the sacrifice that they're giving for all living things. To see, the idea is that life controls environment for its own benefit. The recognition that Earth's physical, chemical, and biological components interact and mutually alter their collectively destiny. The problem, gang, is there's too many people on the Earth. So if we sacrifice some of the population for the benefit of the world, then what's the problem? But again, see, it's accepting the lie rather than the truth. And the truth, once again, let's go back to this, the center of creation, the apple of God's eye, is man. But see, when man devalues themselves and dishonors themselves, then all of a sudden now they're for their passions, and they do animalistic things because that's what they start creating their gods. I mean, if the gorillas do it, then it should be okay for man to do it. If if the dog does it, then it should be okay for man to do it. Why? Because man is an animal. Not created in the image of God. Which makes it very interesting because even the Psalms praise, even the creation praises the Lord. Psalm 148 says, Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him in His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you stars of light. Praise Him you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He has commanded and they were 
created. Now, I'm not giving life to creation. Please do not misunderstand me. Neither is a psalmist. But the idea is, again, that everything that it was created, if you will, shows the genius, the wonder, the beauty of God. And it can't help but praise God. It's like when you look at the stars and there's so many magnificent stars out there, you can't help but just be, wow. It's beautiful. It's magnificent. And even as they put the telescope out and see all the color images and the beauty that even in space, and think about it, God created everything, even to, if you will, the smallest animal, the smallest thing. And if you look at it in a telescope, the beauty and the wonder of that creation. And then you look at the stars and way out there. And gang, for the eons, people have just looked up and stared at the stars and go, wow, those are beautiful lights. And God could have just left it at that. God could have just had a black ceiling up there with all these lights up there. We would have never known, or would we? See, God knew that man would stick his eye and pierce it through the heavens. And God says, i got something to show you. Every minute detail of creation cries the glory of God. But please, let us not miss something here. Let us go back to what we're talking about. It's the mind, to the heart, to the action. It's nothing new. If you want, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3 with me. And let's just touch on this really quick. Because again, there's a powerful lesson for each of us. And if we're willing to hear it, if we're willing to grasp it, change your life. In Genesis chapter 3, if you look at verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave to her husband and he ate. Notice the progression. She saw. It means to see, to consider. She saw how pleasant it was. It means to lust a longing of one's heart. And then she understood that it was desirable to make one's wise like God. Become part of her pride. And so she acted. The mind, to the heart, to action doesn't change. It's the same truth from the very beginning until Christ comes. And it really, if you will, goes back to the enemy. Look at verse 1. Same chapter, chapter chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice what he's doing. He's questioning God's character and his word. Has he really said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, 
nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Gang, this is just what we went over. It's the digression. They dishonored. He did not, serpent, glorify God. He was telling Eve that he is not who he said he was. And then he made her feel unthankful for what God has provided. God's keeping this from you. He's not providing for you what you should have. What you really desire, what you really crave. So it was devoid of truth. Separating from God. And then the heart goes into darkness. See, it never changes. It's the same all the time. We ignore God's warnings and we continue to think about certain sins that are outside of God's provision and will. And we start to stoke the fires of lust or covetousness and hatred and bitterness and greed. And God will continue to warn us, don't do it. See, there's there's levels. Some have likened it to stairs. I've always thought of it as hedges. God's built hedges around you. And He'll guide and guard you from certain things, but only many times with just that conscience of saying, don't do this. Don't look at that. Don't partake of that. Don't even look at it. And we think, oh, God's trying to keep something from us. And then maybe we start thinking, well, God's not providing what I need. And so then we start looking elsewhere. We look at other things. And then we start focusing on those things. If I had this, then my life would be complete. If I could only have this, and then it comes into the heart and it becomes on fire. I need this. I want this. And then when we're not careful take of it. But see, it's hedges. And God will say, don't look at that. Don't look at her. Don't think about him. Don't think about that big house. Don't think about another place, another life. Don't think about these things. Why? Because, again, what it does is it opens the door of being unthankful and dishonoring God for what He has provided. Remember something. We are just pilgrims. And that's the lesson for each of us. See, godly contentment is great gain. And we'll talk about that in a second again. It's understanding what God has given to us. That God will always give us what we need. Our problem is that sometimes, well, most of the time, we don't get what we want. I want this. You don't understand, God. If I had this, I would be a better person. If I had a better life, if I had a better house, if I had a better husband, if I had a better wife, if I had a better job, if I had a better, if I had better children, if I had better that, this, and whatever. And then it becomes more of a passion. We shove God out of the way and say, I need, I want. And then we take the bait. In fact, that's what it says in James 1.14, actually. It says exactly that. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. 
and enticed, or he takes the bait. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It brings forth. And then when it's full grown, when you become so enslaved by it, it brings forth death. Die. Again, the Bible warns us many times in Proverbs, it says, Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. It doesn't bring freedom. It brings enslavement. The Son has come to set you free. And when the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. But see, so many times we're like the children of Israel. You ever go through the Old Testament, you're reading, you know, about the Jews, and you're thinking, oh, I can't believe these people. God just delivered them out of Egypt, and He did all these wonderful things for them, and they're complaining. They complained a lot. But don't we? They're complaining, and think about this. God's feeding them bread from heaven. God's given them water from the rock, and we understand this through Corinthians. It was Jesus Christ actually providing for them. He's the bread of life. He's the water from the rock. And yet they were complaining. They're going, oh, remember when we were in Egypt? Oh, the leeks, the onions, all the spices, the herbs. Oh, yeah, there's this man to eat. That's us. Want more. I deserve more. I need more. And complaining and complaining till finally God gave them what they wanted. Listen to what it says in Psalm about this. They soon forgot God's works. They did not wait for His counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, tested God in the desert, and God gave them their request. But He sent leanness to their soul. There's an emptiness that happens when we get what we want. There's an emptiness that actually takes place that becomes an animal in our hearts. But we got what we want. I am so thankful, and I think you can agree with me, that God did not give me what I wanted most of my life. I wouldn't be standing here, I'm sure. Oh, it's not like I wanted to sin in these great sins. It's just that I wanted to be this. I wanted to live there. I wanted to do that. I want, I want, I want. God always gave me what I need. I'm sure you can attest to the same. God is a good God, and that's the enemy's first thing. He wants us to think he's not good. Because he didn't give us what we want. (laughs) We can just look at us as parents. Do you always give your kid what he wants? My kid's trying to reach for the electrical cord. I can't tell you how many times this happened. You really want that? You really want it? Okay. You got two-year-old teeth. You'll really like this. And I plug it in and I give him the cord. And I make sure the cord is a little frayed so that when he bites down really hard, boy, does he get a shock. Do you like that? No. Of course not. I don't give him what he wants. Replace it. I give him candy. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, give him something else. 
distract him or what he really needs. He's eating dirt. I said, you must be hungry. So I, I pull him out and I give him a bowl of dirt. I give him something good to eat, something nutritious. Because I love him or her. And you do the same. God is the ultimate. He's the best. He's the example. He's the Father. And He always gives what's best. But we find ourselves straying when we're seeking for our own. What we want. What we cry for. Remember, God's desire for all of us is to grow. So I, I said it above all else because really, if you will, it just goes by Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for out of it is the issues of life. There are certain things that we can do to protect ourselves. And if you will, I'm an old man and I'm a fool too. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm learning these things, how valuable they are more and more every day. Especially in our society, when there's all these images, all these thoughts, everything being thrown at us constantly. There's none of us that can avoid it. It's all around. Whether you walk in a store, a restaurant, you drive down the streets, it's all around. You can have everything off and you'll still get bombarded. So it's important for all of us to say, take note, to say, what must I do? How do I guard myself from the same stuff constantly? And you know your own weaknesses. You know what your mind goes to. You know some of the things that we were just talking about, which you're longing for in some ways. And you have to be careful because then it can become sin. And you can separate yourself from the Father who loves you. Not that He separates from you, but you separate from hearing. Listening. Knowing. Being comforted. Being loved. So it's important. And if you will, I'm going to give you five things to think about. And really, the first one is, it's just simple. It begins in the mind. It's the battle for your mind. That's where it all begins. It's the battle for your mind. Do you really trust God in that He is good? Then you must say it all the time, you are good. Your provision for me is good. Everything you have for me is good. I don't understand it all, but in the end I know that you are the perfect Father. Do you hear me? Because this is hard for all of us to say constantly. Because when we get ourselves in those situations that stretch us, then we start whining and crying and complaining. And yet God is saying, no, eyes focused on me. Don't turn it away. In Proverbs 12:5, it says this, The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Only God has the right counsel. So who are we listening to? There are so many counselors out there right now, and most of them, if you will, are not godly counsel. It's about you. How do you feel about you? What do you feel? No, that's here. Gang, this is where the lust begins. This is where we have to protect. It's not how I feel. What is truth? When I separate truth from how I feel, I'll get myself in a bad situation. 
Remember, it's connected first to the mind. Thought. Think. What am I thinking? Now, I know you know this verse. It's Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, again, we're all prone to do this. We're all, if you will, have to be protecting ourselves from this. But it's like I said, the world's counsel is all over us place. You can't turn on the TV without getting the world counsel. You need this. You need to put yourself as the priority. You need to love yourself first. You need this product that will make you feel better about yourself. You need an upgrade in your house. You need a better car. You need a better spouse. You need a better life. You need... But it's not just that, too. But it's people that are living in sinful lives and we're sitting there watching. More and more, it used to be you had Superman who was a hero who was fighting for truth and justice in the American way. Now you have all these anti-heroes. You have all these guys that are messed up. These heroes are confused. Why? Because it goes after what first, if you will, Superman was created. This is the truth. It was created by some Jews. And what they did was they, they looked at, okay, who would be a superhero? And in their mind, this is really cool, in their mind they started thinking, what would the Messiah be like? And then everything, if you will, I'm not saying he's the first superhero, but still that ideology of good and wholesome, and then all of a sudden it's now everybody's messed up. Why? Because man went from the focal of God and they said, Make him like us. Do you really want to see it played out? <laughs> Look at Greek and Roman mythology. It's the same stuff. They fail just like us. We can feel good about ourselves. But what they want, we want. We want pleasure. We want life. We want to be heroes. But I want to be what I want to be. If I want to be bad, I want to be bad. And we play into that game. So again, we each have to be careful. What are we watching? What are we putting in our mind? That's where it begins. If there's something there that you're struggling with, stop watching those things. And I have to tell you, we're all prone to this. It doesn't take much. It's just one little thought comes into play. And then there's another thought. And then all of a sudden you find yourself going down this trail and you're going, wait a minute, how did I get here? It's because of the digression. We need to be very careful. What do we put in our minds? What do we watch? What do we read? What do we talk about? What do we think about? The second, if you will, I'll read from Romans chapter 6. Paul says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or the obedience leading to righteousness, will God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, 
you became slaves of righteousness. Willing slaves. To the king. Because Jesus said before this in John 8.36. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. We're free from this. We have to understand that. I have been set free. I am not a slave to sin any longer. In Romans 6.11, Paul says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Number three, I'm dead to sin. Not because I feel it, God declares it. Not just because God declared it, God did something about it. what your faith is about. It's what Christ accomplished on the cross. Paul puts it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. In my mind, I will guard it. It's the understanding that no matter what the enemy says, I have been set free. I am dead to that. And it's a constant reminder. It's not just how you feel. It's the truth that you know to be real. And when that truth sinks down those eight inches, it becomes stronger. Above all else, guard your heart. What you put in, what you accept, what you believe. Next thing to take note of is a very simple truth. When you find yourself in a position that you're struggling with, that you know you shouldn't be there, that you shouldn't be watching that, then it's a very simple truth that Paul told Timothy. Flee! Run! Flee also youthful lusts, but then pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Maintain those relationships. But also look, look, flee from what you know is going to damage. Run to that which is good. Whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is noble, whatever is good reports. Think on these things. Get your mind going the right way. No matter how you feel. But I don't feel like, I know, see that's the struggle. We don't feel like it. No. Do what you know you need to do. Flee and do what is right. Or as what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 again to Timothy, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. May I say that again? It's the love of money, gang. It's not money. Don't go home and burn your money. It's not it. But it's when it gets in here as a passion. It's the root of all kinds of evil, for which some of you have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession 
in the presence of many witnesses. I'm fleeing from that which would harm me. I'm pursuing that which is true. I'm fighting myself. I'm beating myself to continue on the straight path, knowing that I am not here to live for eternity. My eternity is with Him. And I live in such a way. Take my possessions. My provider still lives. Beat my body. My Savior still lives. Take everything from me. My riches are with my Savior. There's nothing here that any of us should leave behind and understand that He provides so much more. I know that we started late, so I'm hurrying through this. So it's understanding again, the battle begins in the mind. It's understanding that I have been set free. But also understanding that I'm dead to those things. Regardless how I may be feeling. It's the truth. And in that truth I understand to flee from anything that would keep me from walking in this truth. and Pursuing those things that solidify this truth. The last is something that Paul said that I find very powerful. He says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Do you know that there's a power in the resurrection that most of us leave untapped? I don't mean some force. But see, the power that rose Jesus from the dead now resides in each of us. No matter how weak you feel, God has given you a power to overcome. Again, it goes back. Are we honoring and glorifying God? Are we thankful for what God has given to us? If so, then we'll guard our minds. Understanding that He has provided everything we need. But Paul goes on and says, And the fellowship of Christ's suffering, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me lay it out for you really simply. There's a power in Christ's resurrection. There's a power to live a godly life. So I pursue Him, understanding something, that everything that I need, He has provided. Everything that I have a desire for, He has given to me. My job is to lay hold of Him so I can apprehend not only Him, but the reason why He grabbed hold of me and called me His child, if you will. I will fight this good fight, taking the other scripture too, because I know He who loves me, He lives. I'll leave you with this last thought. Paul, in that wonderful chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, When I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Put them away. 
put them in the box. Do you know at the end of the day, especially when you have little kids, you say playtime's over. Put toys back in the box. Pick them all up. It's not time for play anymore. And see, if you will, Paul was saying that all those desires I had, all those childish things that I was pursuing, all the self-righteousness, all the fame, everything that I thought was dear and I held dear, I realized something. It was just childish stuff. Put it away. It's time for all of us to take stock in what we need to put away. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for these truths. My prayer is for each of us, Lord, that we would take it serious. Understanding that you have given us the power and the victory over all these things. And it's for us to set our minds and our thoughts upon you. Not in this world upon the things that you have provided, giving you the glory and the honor always, always, Lord. And being thankful. Thankful that you have called us. Thankful that you have apprehended us. Thank you that you've grabbed hold of us. Thank you that you have called us your children. Thank you that you have provided for us on a day-to-day basis. Thank you that there is nothing that can happen to us until that time that you call us home. Home, Lord. Home. My prayer is for each of us, that each of us would live just as Paul expressed, putting everything back away that is childish, pursuing only that which matters, giving you the honor, the glory, the praise, and the thanksgiving, always. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.